Monica's skull. Stop the ring. Return my treasures to me. I myself will carry you to the gates of Valhalla. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where pregnant ladies get to do cool stuff in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 57, which begins with Furiosa loading up a revolver, and it ends with a Morton Joe spraying Nux with chrome paint. Rounding out the week with us is the team from the Next Real Film podcast and hosts of the Marvel Movie Minute. It's Andy Nelson and Pete Wright. Hey, guys. Glad to be back, rounding out this week with this, uh, this great minute. Yeah, TGI Friday, right? Here, here. For one thing, TG, the Rock Riders are gone. (laughs) (laughs) Check one thing off the list. (laughs) There were so many of them, and I don't know about you guys, but I kind of was having trouble keeping track of how many there were, where they were located. I mean, we didn't talk about it all, because frankly, every time I tried to think of it, I was like, dang, they just keep buzzing around. Right. And they were constantly switching back. Good riddance. Well, I think on the scale of the foes that Furiosa has faced so far in this movie, the Rock Riders plays pretty low. You think they were uh, not as threatening as the Buzzards? I think they're not as threatening as the Buzzards. I think the damage that they caused was negligible compared to the Buzzards. Well, that's true. The Buzzards did have the giant buzzsaw going yeah. Through her door. That's that's pretty bad. And they took out a lot of vehicles, too. Yeah. Technically, there were a lot of red shirts, metaphorical red <laughs> shirts, when Furiosa right. was fighting the buzzards. And so the body count could be higher. But yeah, compared to them, the rock riders were really mosquitoes. And if there's one thing I can't stand, it's a mosquito. Well, they're even dressed as mosquitoes. Yeah. <laughs> but now here at the top of Friday's Minute, the only vehicle we have to worry about is Immortan Joe in the Bigfoot, and Furiosa starts off this minute by leaning out the side window, just glaring down at Joe. She knows that it's him, and so it's go time, and so she leans in and starts loading up a revolver. It's a great uh, shot that starts this minute. That shot of uh, Charlize Theron, like, looking out the window there is just, I mean, that's why she's in this movie because she has that look and that face that works so well as she's glaring out the window, just kind of like she knows where she is. And this is absolutely time. You know, she's confronting the, the big dog here. It's, it works really nicely just the way that she stares him down right there. Mm-hmm. So what she's got here is a Webley 455 Mark IV. It is a revolver, but it's interesting the way it breaks. It bends forward, uh, at a hinge located ahead of the trigger and the whole thing flips forward as opposed to the the barrel flipping out to the side. And so we're able to get this really clear angle of her gripping the barrel in that robot hand of hers and just popping the shells in one at a time. I say shells, they're rounds, but whatever. Come see, come saw. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, it, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a great little weapon. I, I mean, honestly, there are so many weapons in this vehicle and throughout this movie that it's hard to keep track of them. But uh, I'm, 
I'm a little surprised that with the number of weapons that they have in here that she actually has to load this one. Because have we seen her use this one before? No, this will be the first time we see it. So does she just have a bunch of weapons around this vehicle hiding? Because she's got them hiding everywhere. I mean, Max yeah. keeps grabbing them earlier. Are they all just unloaded? That just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> Seems like you'd want to be a little bit more prepared. Yeah, if you're hiding <laughs> weapons around a vehicle, the idea is that they would be loaded where you hide them. So that way you can pull them out. And I'm guessing something that we might not have seen on screen is Max finding these weapons, throwing them in the bag and then taking the time to empty them. So that way they can't just reach into his bag of guns and pull out something and immediately attack him with it. Because Max was very paranoid to begin with. Yeah. And now we're in a situation where the tables have turned and the allegiances have shifted a bit. So... I guess all of that work of reloading that we didn't see on screen now has to be undone. (laughs) Well, and she conveniently has, I don't know what it is, like a little drawer or something in front of her where she's got like just a variety of different bullets. Uh, At least that's what it looks like she's kind of pulling them from. Mm -hmm. So I guess to that end, either she's got a nice amount of them. I mean, I, I guess they have had relations with the bullet farmer as well as Gastown. So obviously they've got ammunition, but... It's not as organized as you'd think. So, I mean, she's very good at picking out the right bullets Mm -hmm. to put into this particular gun. Yeah, it looks like they're following the Marie Kondo method of having small items in small boxes inside of larger containers. Like the dashboard has this little rimmed shelf that things are stuck down into. And those bullets you were talking about has a little box. Yeah, it's on the right, and then there's some larger caliber rounds. And, you know, speaking of Marie Kondo, just a little bit further up frame from that, you see a small half-baby head, and that sparks joy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There it is. What is up up with the baby head? I don't know. Oh, it's uh, been a while since I last told this story. In the trade paperback version of the Vertigo comic, there at the end, they have a bunch of mini stories that tell the history of the war rig. And whenever you see a baby head on the war rig or inside the war rig, it comes from a giant stash of baby dolls that Rictus found when he was a young kid. Hmm. He was out raiding with his father, Joe and the bullet farmer, and they found this burned down house. And inside the basement was a room filled with, with dolls like okay you know how like old ladies have rooms full of creepy looking dolls it's one of those situations wow like i'll hold it up to the to the the camera here and see if it wants to like focus on it oh jeez that's amazing yeah there's a lot of dolls so (laughs) listeners if you want to see what everybody is seeing go on amazon and buy the trade paper rack (laughs) that is a great pull i had no idea of that connection and i've always wondered what is with the baby head Mm -hmm. that's fantastic and that speaks to what what i was saying i think in monday's minute the whole idea of building this world with these details like this that you don't necessarily need explained i mean i'm glad that they explained it in the trade paperback but it's it's nice that they're there if you're watching the movie you don't necessarily need that information but it helps create this complete world Mm mm-hmm just wonderful stuff. You could technically have one of those little stickers on the back window that says baby on board because <laughs> at least Ang Herod is visibly pregnant. Oh, I wish they had that now. Yeah. <laughs> so with Furiosa loading up for the attack, we rejoin Rictus going 
crazy with his flamethrower. And there is one Imperator in particular, the one that's hanging off the left side of the Bigfoot, who slams his gun on the roof and yells at Rictus. He says, the wives, no more flames. And I'm like, okay. Looking at this Imperator, if you pause right around second seven, you can see that he's got really big, really bushy eyebrows. And I'm like, yes, you don't want to shoot flames into the rig to burn up the wives because that would make Joe angry. But if this Imperator is the kind of guy that values his eyebrows, he just barely (laughs) saved them from a gigantic fireball. He probably doesn't want to risk singeing them off in a rogue flamethrower attack. But he's trying to save face at the same time. Exactly. Seriously, man, it's the wives. (laughs) It's really the wives. (laughs) As he's licking his fingers and like stroking out the eyebrows in their style. I mean, I'm okay, but it's the wives I'm worried. He's really, yeah, this is a great angle for him. He comes off as really uh, caring. Sort of a paternal figure. (laughs) And I love the look on Rictus's face, like... Seriously, you're going to tell me to stop using the flamethrower? Fine, but I'm not going to like it. And he That's... actually like he like bows his head a little bit like fine. I am shame. <laughs> I feel like that's that's Rictus's look like through most of this movie. Like he feels like he's always getting <laughs> he's always getting told, "No, don't do that." Yeah. <laughs> I love Nathan Jones's performance of Rictus in this movie because he is such an amazing presence. And you get the sense that he had a lot of fun just being able to play that sort of character where he's just a big kid and he gets to have fun with it. Yeah. Now, I have to ask you, though, because of what you told us about the uh, the story with Rictus, are those the same baby heads that he wears on the chain around his neck? I don't know if those are the exact same ones from the creepy doll basement. They look creepy, but it might just be that he has a collector's attitude. Because he also has the giant, I don't know what it is, but it looks like the the plate, kind of a, a, like the um, wrestler's um, kind of a championship belt that he's wearing with kind of a baby head type of thing on it, plus the other three that are conveniently under that by his crotch. Yeah. It kind of makes you wonder what would have happened if instead of finding a basement full of creepy dolls, he had found like an extensive stamp collection. <laughs> <laughs> like that would have altered his look entirely. <laughs> really would have oh that's fantastic what else could he have stumbled on coins he's a oh. real numismatist baseball uh, cards baseball ah, oh, rictus covered in classic baseball cards <laughs> okay so this is where i get to bring in fallout because i don't feel like i get to talk about fallout enough in fallout 4 which is set in boston One of the major settlements is in what remains of Fenway Park. And so with that much baseball history around you, of course, the people of the post-apocalypse would be knowledgeable somewhat about baseball, except they've altered the oral history. And so now when they talk about baseball, it's not a game of hitting a ball and running around bases. It's a game that involves guns and beating people to death and catching bullets with leather gloves and (laughs) things like that and there's one guy in fenway park who sells baseball bats and talks about ah you can't beat your opponent to death without a quality wooden slugger buy one here (laughs) so i could just see rictus with like a baseball hat and one of those pinstripe uniforms all torn up over his massive frame take me out to the ball game (laughs) 
He's probably he would... wearing one of those little hot dog shelves, you know, around his mm-hmm. neck, you know. That's, yeah, he does the whole thing. Although, let's be real, it wouldn't be baseball. It would probably be cricket. Truth. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> and that's not nearly as threatening. Who are we kidding? No, I mean, that's not even a bat. That's more of like a paddle. A spatula. <laughs> So we cut away from Rictus down to Joe, who's driving, and we get a nice little POV. We see him coming up on the war rig. He can see Furiosa bent over loading, and so he pulls out his Colt Anaconda. So the Colt Anaconda is a very cool weapon. It's featured very heavily in The Walking Dead show, but it was introduced in 1990. It's a large frame double action revolver featuring a full length underbarrel ejection rod lug and six-round cylinder. It was designed and produced by the Colt Manufacturing Company and chambered for the powerful 44 Magnum and 45 Colt centerfire ammunition cartridges. The Anaconda marked the Hartford, Connecticut firm's first foray into the popular large-bore Magnum pistol market. So it is a product of Connecticut, USA. Yay! (laughs) Go Connecticut! Go Connecticut! That's where Julia pretty I'm much grew from up, Connecticut. So. Oh, oh look at that! Is that is that the the uh, the cry of all uh, people from Connecticut? Uh, go Colt Anaconda! <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is. That and casinos. There you go. <laughs> it's it's a glorious weapon, and it. I mean, this is kind of it. Really, kind of became like the image of. Immortan Joe with this film. Like, I feel like that image of him pointing that gun was like in the trailer, probably on a poster. Like, that just feels like so much uh, the essence of who he is, the way he pulls it out and holds it while he's driving. It just, it feels so uh, perfectly him, just mm-hmm. as much as the vehicle does, really. Well, and and just the way that Nux looks at it, right? As, as they, they have that sort of moment of, as he, he hands it over and it's just sort of this luscious exchange of, of this honorable uh, artifact of, of, you know, what it means to be in service to a Morton Joe. I don't, is that, I don't think it's the same one he gives to Nux, is it? It's technically a different one because a Morton Joe has two revolvers on his belt. The first oh. being the Anaconda, the second one being a Ruger Vaquero. So the thing he takes out, it's kind of in a crotch holster. Yeah, (laughs) of course it is. That's not the, is that the Anaconda? The Anaconda is a lot more beefy. It's got a much more heavy looking barrel and the grip is a lot more modern looking where the Vaquero is very simple curved around the back. And I think it's also a single action, which means you have to pull back the hammer in order Mm -hmm. to fire it. Well, the Anaconda has the black handle, right? And the Vaquero is, it looks just like it's all silver almost. Yeah, the Vaquero specifically, I think, has a more gray-ish handle. I don't know. I'm looking at a screenshot right now, and I can't quite... I'm li- yeah, it. I'm looking at... Well, we see it at about 46. 40, yeah, 46 I, seconds. I'm at 46, and the gun that's in his hand is what? I think that's the Vaquero, but it's not the, it's not the Anaconda, which we so, see... On the other, that's in this, on the other side of the holster. Yes. Right, that's still holstered. That's the Anaconda. Yeah, so when we jump forward to 46, yeah. Left hand, Vaquero, right hand side holster, 
should be the anaconda. The anaconda. So the gun yeah. that he's actually passing over to Nux is the vaquero. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it does not help that both guns are polished up, silvery looking with right. dark handles. It, it does it's not that help. handle. That's the trick. And so yeah. I was very confused talking about the anaconda because I don't know guns. I don't know if that's clear. I'm not a gun person. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're not from Connecticut, Pete. Right. Yeah. I don't want to give people the wrong idea. Right. I get most of my gun information from the Internet Movie Firearms database. Right. right. I usually get real quiet when we start talking about guns. I'm like, I don't know. But I think something that's interesting, whichever gun that he actually gives to Nux, both of those guns are more luxury items mm -hmm. right. than what Nux is used to. Yeah, clearly. I mean, yeah, I think the the whole artifact bit stands. Yeah, Nux is is deeply impressed and honored, clearly, that he gets to hold that thing. Getting back to the Anaconda, Joe doesn't actually get to fire it because Ang Herod pops out the side of the war rig with that door swinging wide open. And she is there to stare down Joe and it takes him aback. He lowers that gun and pulls it back inside and his yeah. eyes open up like oh hey that's splendid and she's sitting there and it's not just her staring daggers it's joe capable is right next to her with her arm around ang Herod staring daggers and toast peering over the window like killjoy staring <laughs> at joe as well and i love how while capable is obviously the one doing the most holding on to ang Herod, toast still has a hand grabbing on to Ang Herod's dress just as an extra bit of security. They're very protective. I love that about all the wives. Yeah. And it's great because I feel like in action movies, you don't necessarily get to see pregnant ladies doing cool stuff like this. They're usually relegated to the background. Yeah. And they've done all this, all the good work to make it appear like these are ladies that are going to be in the background, right? They've put them in their, you know, in the literal backseat. They're in the literal backseat. <laughs> they're in kind of the the siren uh, outfit, right? I mean, the kind of lilting fabric that just makes them look like they're, you know, in in any other movie, it might be that these are the these are the fetish objects, and here they've made them the, you know, dirty, gritty, you know, centerpiece of um, the action protection role here right in this sequence. And I love the way that despite them being stuck in the backseat, despite them being by all intents and purposes, the prize that everyone's fighting for, they refuse to be that and muscle their way into center frame. Because while Ang Herod may not be able to reload a rifle, she can sure as heck stop Immortan Joe from shooting Furiosa. Because her weapon is that she knows what he finds most valuable right now. Mm -hmm. She wields it. And that's why right. it had to be young Herod as opposed to mm -hmm. any of the other women. Yeah, with the baby. With the baby. Right. Uh, Joe's reaction I find particularly interesting. Up till now, kind of thinking off the top of my head, he has wanted his wives back. He has wanted his treasures but his reaction to what Ang Herod is doing is not for Ang Herod's safety. It's for the baby's safety. Yeah. He's shouting, splendid, splendid. That's my child, my property. Even his children, he doesn't see as real people. Right. They are just another thing that he owns. And so I imagine even if the wives were to stick around 
to give birth to these children who could be warlords. That child wouldn't have any more of a loving or nurturing situation outside of the harem from Joe because Joe would just see them as another property and they wouldn't make a good successor because they would never get the personal attention from Joe because he would always just see every interaction as you are my property. You have to do what I say no matter what, because that's just the kind of guy that Joe is. That's why he's a bad guy. Do you, do you feel like he sees uh, Rictus that way and, and uh, Corpus? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He absolutely sees. Yeah. Uh, domestic manager. Right, right, right. Corpus calls the shots in the Citadel and he keeps that place running because he's intellectual and he knows how things work. And he can keep the place up and running. And he uses Rictus like a battering. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of makes you wonder with the popularity of stories like A Handmaid's Tale. Like, is Mad Max taking place in parallel to A Handmaid's Tale? Like, Handmaid's Tale is how America is handling this post-apocalyptic situation. And Mad Max is how Australia is handling this situation. Having never seen The Handmaid's Tale show or read The Handmaid's Tale book i am hmm. woefully underqualified to talk about anything related to anything beyond the commercials but interesting you know <laughs> we could have wives dressed in red what well, we've learned from all of white this bonnets instead did we learn of, what happened to their mother in any of the uh or mothers whatever it may the case may be in any of the other graphic novels or anything had they been like breeders before these five remarkably similar to the situation of the wives if you fail Joe in any sort of way, his chosen punishment is to throw you from the top of the Citadel. So uh -huh. there, there are two very distinct paths that you can take as a breeder. You either become a milk mother or you uh, get the Clarence Boddicker treatment. Can you fly, Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting because so then potentially the, so one of those or some of those milk mothers that we saw earlier were the mothers of rictus and corpus mm -hmm. that's a good point yeah. i don't think we brought that up when we were talking about the milk mothers yeah. trouble is there's so many of them and they get so little screen time but that's also interesting because then because there were a lot of milk mothers as memory serves mm -hmm. yeah. so that means there had been or might be still out there other children yes and that's perhaps a good point that helps explain joe's attitude towards the children and the wives because he's been working on this for a very long time, he is becoming more desperate. Hmm. Really interesting. Again, a lot of really interesting detail that when you think about it, it's like all of this is such interesting meat that supports this world. It really is. And it's it's such a fascinating, I, I think their choices to go into, um, you know, reproduction in a deeply authoritarian state, right? This is This is what it looks like not to just control the means of of production in an authoritarian manner but to control the means of of reproduction and that's a that's a a, a beautifully disgusting uh statement on um, you know a political re reality in a lot of places um you know in terms of a movie that is blatantly holding up a mirror for you to kind of assess what's going on in the world and i like how the bullet farmer just dismisses it all oh, yeah. family squabble right <laughs> it kind of makes you wonder with the popularity of stories like A Handmaid's Tale, mm -hmm. is Mad Max taking place in parallel to A Handmaid's Tale? Like, Handmaid's mm. Tale is how America is handling this post-apocalyptic situation, and Mad Max is how Australia is handling oh, this situation. Wow. 
having never seen the Handmaid's Tale show or read the Handmaid's Tale book, I am woefully underqualified to talk about anything related to anything beyond the commercials. No, you pretty much got it. (laughs) (laughs) We could have wives dressed in red with white bonnets instead of white with no bonnets. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I know very little about The Handmaid's Tale, but what I do know is that it's remarkably similar to the situation of the wives. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, it's been, I haven't seen the TV show, but it's been a long time since I've approached the book. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's, that's my memory of it. <laughs> so getting back into the minute around second 24, that shot that we got of Joe pointing his gun at Furiosa, we get the reverse of that with Furiosa reaching her arm through the window over Ang Herod's arm to point her gun back at Joe. And it's a nice little flip of the visual thing that we got earlier. And as she prepares to open fire and actually starts pulling off shots, the eyebrows Imperator does the secret service thing and throws himself in front of the bullets. Well, you mentioned reversal of the situation and that, that continues. And Herod threw herself in front of Furiosa and eyebrows here threw himself in front of Joe. Yeah, yeah. it's just a shame that the Imperator didn't have anything that Furiosa couldn't do without. <laughs> right. Didn't quite hold the same yeah. weight. That, uh, <laughs> it's like, I mean, they're both Imperators. You think she would have said, oh, not you, whatever your name is. <laughs> oh, wait, no, he's the one with eyebrows. <laughs> that <I> right. eyebrows. <laughs> <sighs> I'm still amazed that he has eyebrows after going through that fireball. He's the one who yeah. should have been covered in soot. <laughs> If Furiosa had had the luxury to look out the window and see who exactly was jumping in the bullets, I would like to think that her internal monologue was, oh, he's that guy who refused to trim his eyebrows. They were all (laughs) and pointing out because they peek and then they poke out of his face. And frankly, I'm glad he's dead. He annoyed me because he told Rictus what to do and he was not effective at all. Okay. Like, okay. He was a killjoy. <laughs> he told Rictus to stop playing with the flamethrower because he was the one standing right underneath the flamethrower. <laughs> That's settled science. It's not his place as an Imperator to tell Joe's sons what to do. I think it might be. <laughs> it might actually be I the job think, of the Imperator to do that? I think it might be understood that... For the most part, Rictus, you let him do his thing, but, you know, if you need to boss him around, you're allowed. (laughs) Well, let's just say it wouldn't go well if it was Scrotus up there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think this Imperator, if he were to survive and they were to go back to the Citadel, I don't think he would be punished for bossing around Rictus. I think that's allowed because Rictus is a child. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's allowed. Because Rictus Everyone is a child. Everyone bosses around Rictus. Yeah. He's the office toy. Yeah. Look, I, I, I just have to make a note here of uh, the, the shot. If we look at, oh gosh, where is it? It's right around, uh, yeah, it's at 26, 25, 26. When we have Furiosa firing the pistol from uh, Joe's POV, She's firing that pistol about, what would you say, 18 inches, maybe, from Angharad's head. And Angharad doesn't flinch. 
not a little bit. And I know the road noise is loud, but uh, that's a that's a power move on her part. That oh, she's oh it definitely is. Yeah. I think that it has been quite a day for them. Yeah, she... <laughs> Do your worst. <laughs> I think they are already becoming a bit desensitized to violence yep. just in this single day. Well, and Herod has already shown that she can not flinch around guns because she was grazed by that bullet that Max shot at her. Right, and yeah. as That's she right. was walking, like she stopped, but only because bullets started landing around her. She wasn't like hopping around, mm-hmm. throwing her hands up in the air or anything like that. It was just very much, okay, I will stop walking. <laughs> I will stop moving if you will stop firing. So yeah, and Herod yeah. has an iron resolve. It's one of the great things about her. So it turns out, perhaps, the only thing she does not know how to do is load a gun. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't had the opportunity to see the limits of her abilities or the full extent of the the abilities as as well. That is true. And as we know, I have not seen anything past minute 57. (laughs) The movie does not exist yet. It's actually being made one minute at a time. (laughs) So based on what you know... Ang Herod is going to continue to be a strong leader, and she's going to lead she her will. group of wives into the green place, and they're going to live happily ever after. And that's all I really need to know. Yes. <laughs> so Joe tactically withdraws the Bigfoot from right alongside the war rig, and as he falls back, Nux climbs down to the side of the Bigfoot, and he peers in the window, and he starts telling Immortan Joe that he knows the ins and outs of the rig, and if he can only get on top of it, that he can not only get into the rig, but he will do one better, and he will pike Furiosa in the spine, keep her breathing, so that Joe can deal with her. And Joe, hearing that offer, considers it, and then says, no, take my vaquero and put a bullet in her skull. Just end it. I like that. I think that actually shows a lot about about these guys because uh, I I think that the the war boys are excited about this idea of that vengeance and the revenge and get her for you and all that sort of stuff. But I, I, I it's so perfect for Joe to just say no, just kill her. I just want my property back. Mm-hmm. Furiosa has proven herself to be quite troublesome. It's <laughs> yeah. safer to kill her. Right. Reminds me of Harry Potter. How Voldemort, through all the books, insists on killing Harry himself. And that affords Harry opportunities to get away. Because there are times when the Death Eaters have opportunities to kill him. And someone's like, no, 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 don't do that. The Dark Lord wants to. And Harry lived to the end. If the Death Eaters had had the opportunity to kill him and just done it and gotten it over with, end of books. Yeah. So what we need to do is take a Morton Joe and drop him into the Harry Potter universe because he could probably. Oh, that kid would be dead. Take down the Ministry of Magic single handedly. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the war boys descend on Hogwarts. I'd watch that movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that would be pretty awesome. (laughs) They they don't have wands. They have thunder sticks. (laughs) (laughs) And they're all catapulted onto the Yeah. Like yeah. in the movies, Durmstrang has thunder sticks. That's right. 
Mm-hmm. That's true. And they show them in four. Goblet of Fire. They yeah. walk into the Great Hall and they're smacking them around. They're sparking all over the place. And so they exist. So maybe, oh man, maybe they are war boys. It's in canon. Ah, uh. it's a good thing that the <laughs> Triwizard Tournament doesn't involve any Australian schools. <laughs> <laughs> I think did I think we talked about Australian Hogwarts yeah. uh last season? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> it's very dangerous. I have to imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's well, trying to kill you. <laughs> That's why the next Fantastic Beast movie needs to take place not in New York or London or Paris. It needs to take place in Australia. And it basically needs to be a Wizarding World remake of Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that's fair. That would be an interesting conclusion to the story. <laughs> I want to see that one. Take Newt, <laughs> send him out into the bush. Suddenly he's hanging out with like Wizarding World Steve Irwin. It's like, crikey. Look at this side. Look at this sucker. <laughs> I had to put my head in his mouth. <laughs> That's not a wand. This is a wand. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Perfect. Oh jeez. Get a Hemsworth brother involved. There's plenty of them to go around. That's right. Larry's not doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not only hands Nux his vaquero, as we discussed earlier on, he continues to say, and I myself, he gives him a promise, will carry you to the gates of Valhalla. And Nux looks at him with this sense of longing and amazement in his eye. And he says, am I awaited? And Joe doesn't answer him at the tail end of this minute. We have to wait until Monday before we get the reply. But he holds up the can of chrome paint and he applies a second coat to Nux's face <laughs> because we all need to remember there's already one coat on there and it didn't take the first time no yeah that, that first coat I think got wiped off in the sandstorm <laughs> we just gotta fill any holes fill any cracks mm-hmm. this yeah. one's gonna Coverage. take this yeah. is gonna take well he's got plenty of uh, cracks around those lips <laughs> I imagine that the first layer of chrome paint has kind of settled in the cracks so he's probably got like stripes, chrome stripes. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And you don't want any striping when you're going to Valhalla. No, it's not in this season. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe if he waits till next year. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Have you dissected you... all of the all of the pins on Joe's uh, garb? Not really. If you've got any ones that you want to pick out and draw attention to. Now, you know, I really don't, but I've been looking for it. I've been looking for, you know, what are some of the specific insignia? And I haven't been able to uh, uh, to lock in any other than just very cool decoration. So I'm curious. I know we, we have a number of military badges on his on his chest, but it looks like, you know, I, I don't know what those are. They they're they're sort of like coins, like maybe challenge coins or something that are just sort of clipped into as as almost a chain mail yeah. on his shoulders. Well, I think um, he's the coin collector. Right. He's the one who found the coin basement. <laughs> right. He did. And that's what he found the haunted coin basement. Andy, that's it. <laughs> so, right at the end of the minute, round second 59, if you pause it just right, you can look past Joe's breathing tube and you can see poking out underneath his little scarf thing the Nokia phone circuit board 
which is my favorite part of his costume. Where is the, right. is that on the uh, on his left, kind of right underneath yes. that valve? Yep, it's like right above the badges or whatever those little red. Oh my god, I love things. it! Because as everyone knows, the Nokia phone is indestructible. <laughs> so of course you would have the Nokia circuit totally. board, the heart of the indestructible material, as part of your armor. <laughs> oh, of course, that's right, right over your heart. <laughs> that's beautiful. Did you guys talk about the numbers on his crotch and what those are for? Like the 929, 240, 49? We have not talked about them specifically, but the cool thing about Joe's costume is that pretty much everything is taken from vehicles. Yeah. So I don't know specifically what those numbers correspond to. We have some pretty great listeners, so they'll probably tell us in the listener page. But... Wherever they came from, they were most assuredly pried off of the side of a vehicle and attached to this little gun holster codpiece that Joe likes to wear. I love that idea. I'm, I'm looking right now. I found a Mazda 929. I'm wondering yeah. if that's what it's from. <laughs> the Mazda. Let's just say it's not an impressive vehicle. It would be... <laughs> I mean, the number might be cool, but the vehicle itself, it's like, I don't know if he wants to represent that particular car. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the only part of the car that he deemed worthy to keep. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I can only imagine the war party that Joe is leading traveling across the wasteland and they happen to come across a used car lot that hasn't been completely scrapped yet. And they just descend on that place like locusts and just strip away as much as they can, leaving nearly nothing behind. Except for that Mazda 929 with just the number popped off. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. That's why we told Mark during week one, we need more comics. Uh, yes. If Mad Max is going to get tied up in the production line, it takes a whole lot less people to make a comic book happen than an entire movie. So you got to tie us over somehow. We're recording this in 2019. It's been four years and we're still chomping at the bit for more. We don't want to wait another 30 before the next one comes out because that would no. mean George Miller's like 100 years old at that point. So <laughs> <laughs> not sure well, how the quality would be. Hopefully the uh, the Furiosa movie will come together and we'll get to see that long before then. Absolutely. I got my fingers crossed. Knocking on oh, any here, sort here. of wood service I can find. <laughs> Here at the end of the week, we are anxiously awaiting Joe's response to Nux's question of am I awaited? But while people are anxiously awaiting our return on Monday, they can check out the things, Andy and Pete, that you make. And where should they go to do that? You can find out more about us at thenextreel.com. That's where our long-running uh, film podcast lives. We've got... Oh, geez. Well, we, we started back in 2011, uh, Andy and I covering a movie a week, and uh, we have since built up a, a large number of series. You can browse by series and, and catch up with um, uh, all of our uh, critique and analysis of films since then. It's also home to Marvel Movie Minute, which you can also find at marvelmovieminute.net, and uh, that is our uh, brand .net. new... Is it? Is it dot .com? You, said, you just said .net. I thought it was <laughs> .net. Now I have no. to check. It's .com. It is? Where have we ever had .net? <laughs> .com. Well, it's just redirect. Like, no, it's not. No. No, it's not. Marvel Movie Minute. <laughs> You're the one who set all this up. 
<laughs> Why is it not going there? <laughs> I don't really care. Look, all I'm saying is go to iTunes. No. You can also find Marvel Movie Minute, uh, our new movie by minute show there where we're taking on the movies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. We're on movie number one. And as we record this, we've just crested about an hour. So we've got 60 plus episodes for you to binge as we record this. By the time this goes live, we we should be about a minute. I don't know, 120 uh, and so we're we're getting there. It's five shows a week. So uh, if you're into the movie by minute thing, join us for Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's where people can find us. Check it out. Yeah, those five day a week shows, they're good for people that, you know, they like our show, but could also use like shows on the days when you don't have shows. <laughs> I was trying to do math in my head. I'd be like, OK, what would the percentages be? And then I realized, oh, wait. We're not the Mad Math Minute. Just got to keep telling myself that. <laughs> so anyway, we'll be back on Monday. I'm going to go lay down because I don't know. I don't think my head's right at the end of the week if I try and crunch any more numbers. But we will see Nux get tossed. We'll see Joe get judgy. And we'll see Rectus show just how much trouble he can cause with the harpoon gun on his truck. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 57 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time. <laughs>